Book Six, Chapter Three of the League of the Scarlet Pimpernel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The League of the Scarlet Pimpernel, by Baroness Ortsy. Book Six: How Jean Pierre Met the Scarlet Pimpernel, as Told by Himself. Chapter Three. Less than half an hour later, Monsieur Citizen Laporte, one of the most skilful doctors in France, and one of the most bloodthirsty tyrants this execrable revolution has known, was sitting at the bedside of Monsieur le Vicomte de Mortain, using all the skill, all the knowledge he possessed, in order to combat the dread disease of which the child was dying, ere he came to save him, as he cynically remarked in my hearing, for the guillotine. I heard afterwards how it all came about. Laporte, it seems, was in the habit of seeing patients in his own house every evening after he had settled all his business for the day. What a strange contradiction in the human heart, eh, monsieur? The tiger turned lamb for the space of one hour in every twenty-four. The butcher turned healer. How well the English milor had gauged the strange personality of that redoubtable man. Professional pride interest in intricate cases, call it what you will, was the only redeeming feature in Laporte's abominable character. Everything else in him, every thought, every action, was ignoble, cruel, and vengeful. Milor that night mingled with the crowds who waited on the human hyena to be cured of their hurts. It was a motley crowd that filled the dreaded proconsul's antechamber, men, women, and children, all of them too preoccupied with their own troubles to bestow more than a cursory glance on the stranger who, wrapped in a dark mantle, quietly awaited his turn. One or two muttered curses were flung at the aristo, one or two spat in his direction to express hatred and contempt. Then the door which gave on the inner chamber would be flung open, a number called, one patient would walk out, another walk in, and in the ever-recurring incident the stranger for the nonce was forgotten. His turn came, his number being called. It was the last on the list, and the antechamber was now quite empty save for him. He walked into the presence of the proconsul. Claude Lemoyne, who was on guard in the room at the time, told me that just for the space of two seconds the two men looked on one another. Then the stranger threw back his head and said quietly, there's a child dying of pleurisy, or worse, in an attic in the Rue des Pipeaux. There's not a doctor left in Lyon to attend on him, and the child will die for want of medical skill. Will you come to him, citizen doctor? It seems that for a moment or two Laporte hesitated. You look to me uncommonly like an aristo, and therefore a traitor, he said, and I've half a mind— to call in your guard and order my immediate arrest, broke in Milor with a whimsical smile. But in that case, a citizen of France will die for want of a doctor's care. Let me take you to the child's bedside, citizen doctor, and you can always have me arrested afterwards. But Laporte still hesitated. How do I know that you are not one of those English spies, he began. Take it that I am, rejoined Milor imperturbably and come and see the patient. Never had a situation been carried off with so bold a hand. 
Claude Lemoyne declared that Laporte's mouth literally opened for the call, which would have summoned the sergeant of the guard into the room and ordered the summary arrest of this impudent stranger. During the veriest fraction of a second, life and death hung in the balance for the gallant English milor. In the heart of Laporte, every evil passion fought the one noble fiber within him. But the instinct of the skillful healer won the battle, and the next moment he hastily collected what medicaments and appliances he might require, and the two men were soon speeding along the streets in the direction of the Rue des Pipeaux. During the whole of that night, Milor and Laporte sat together by the bedside of Monsieur le Vicomte. Laporte only went out once in order to fetch what further medicaments he required. Madame la Marquesa took the opportunity of running out of her hiding place in order to catch a glimpse of her child. I saw her take Milor's hand and press it against her heart in silent gratitude. On her knees she begged him to go away and leave her and the boy to their fate. Was it likely that he would go? But she was so insistent that at last he said, Madame, let me assure you that even if I were prepared to play the coward's part which you would assign to me, it is not in my power to do so at this moment. Citizen Laporte came to this house under the escort of six picked men of his guard. He has left those men stationed on the landing outside this door. Madame la Marquesa gave a cry of terror, and once more that pathetic look of horror came into her face. Milor took her hand and then pointed to the sick child. Madame, he said, Monsieur le Vicomte is already slightly better. Thanks to medical skill and the child's vigorous hold on life, he will live. The rest is in the hands of God. Already the heavy footsteps of Laporte were heard upon the creaking stairs. Madame la Marquesa was forced to return to her hiding place. Soon after dawn, he went. Monsieur le Vicomte was then visibly easier. Laporte had all along paid no heed to me, but I noticed that once or twice during his long vigil by the sick bed, his dark eyes beneath their overhanging brows shot a quick, suspicious look at the door behind which cowered Madame la Marquesa. I had absolutely no doubt in my mind then that he knew quite well who his patient was. He gave certain directions to Milor. There were certain fresh medicaments to be got during the day. While he spoke, there was a sinister glint in his eyes, half cynical, wholly menacing, as he looked into the calm, impassive face of Milor. It is essential for the welfare of the patient that these medicaments be got for him during the day, he said dryly, and the guard have orders to allow you to pass in and out. But you need have no fear, he added significantly. I will leave an escort outside the house to accompany you on your way. He gave a mocking, cruel laugh, the meaning of which was unmistakable. His well-drilled human bloodhounds would be on the track of the English spy whenever the latter dared to venture out into the streets. Madame la Marquesa and I were prisoners for the day. We spent it in watching alternately beside Monsieur le Vicomte. But Milor came and went, as freely as if he had not been carrying his precious life in his hands every time that he ventured outside the house. In the evening Laporte returned to see his patient, and again the following morning, and the next evening. Monsieur le Vicomte was making rapid progress toward recovery. The third day, in the morning, Laporte pronounced his patient to be out of danger, 
but said that he would nevertheless come again to see him at the usual hour in the evening. Directly he had gone, Milor went out in order to bring certain delicacies of which the invalid was now allowed to partake. I persuaded Madame to lie down and have a couple of hours good sleep in the inner attic, while I stayed to watch over the child. To my horror, hardly had I taken up my stand at the foot of the bed when Laporte returned. He muttered something as he entered about having left some important appliance behind, but I was quite convinced that he had been on the watch until Milor was out of sight, and then slipped back in order to find me and Madame here alone. He gave a glance at the child and another at the door of the inner attic. Then he said in a loud voice, Yes, another twenty-four hours, and my duties as doctor will cease, and those of patriot will recommence. But Madame la Marquesa de Mortaigne need no longer be in any anxiety about her son's health nor will madame la guillotine be cheated of a pack of rebels he laughed and was on the point of turning on his heel when the door which gave on the smaller attic was opened and madame la marquesa appeared upon the threshold monsieur i had never seen her look more beautiful than she did now in her overwhelming grief her face was as pale as death her eyes large and dilated were fixed upon the human monster who had found it in his heart to speak such cruel words. Clad in a miserable threadbare gown, her rich brown hair brought to the top of her head like a crown, she looked more regal than any queen. But proud as she was, Monsieur, she yet knelt at the feet of that wretch. Yes, knelt, and embraced his knees, and pleaded in such pitiable accents as would have melted the heart of a stone. She pleaded, Monsieur, ah, not for herself. She pleaded for her child, and for me, her faithful servant, and she pleaded for the gallant gentleman who had risked his life for the sake of the child, who was nothing to him. Take me, she said. I come of a race that have always known how to die. But what harm has that innocent child done in this world? What harm has poor old Jean-Pierre done? And, oh, is the world so full of brave and noble men that the bravest of them all be so unjustly sent to death? Ah, monsieur, any man, save one of those abject products of that hideous revolution, would have listened to such heart-rending accents, but this man only laughed and turned on his heel without a word. Shall I ever forget the day that went by? Madame la Marquesa was well-nigh prostrate with terror and it was heartrending to watch the noble efforts which she made to amuse Monsieur le Vicomte. The only gleams of sunshine which came to us out of our darkness were the brief appearances of Milor. Outside we could hear the measured tramp of the guard that had been set there to keep us close prisoners. They were relieved every six hours, and in fact we were as much under arrest as if we were already incarcerated in one of the prisons of Lyon. At about four o'clock in the afternoon, Milor came back to us, after a brief absence. He stayed for a little while, playing with Monsieur le Vicomte. Just before leaving, he took Madame's hand and said very earnestly, and sinking his voice to the merest whisper, "'Tonight, fear nothing. Be ready for anything. Remember that the League of the Scarlet Pimpernel have never failed to succor, and that I hereby pledge you mine honor.' 
that you and those you care for will be out of Lyon this night. He was gone, leaving us to marvel at his strange words. Madame la Marquesa after that was just like a person in a dream. She hardly spoke to me, and the only sound that passed her lips was a quaint little lullaby which she sang to Monsieur le Vicomte, ere he dropped off to sleep. The hours went by leaden-footed. At every sound on the stairs, Madame started like a frightened bird. That infamous Laporte usually paid his visits at about eight o'clock in the evening, and after it became quite dark, Madame sat at the tiny window, and I felt that she was counting the minutes which still lay between her and the dreaded presence of that awful man. At a quarter before eight o'clock, we heard the usual heavy footfall on the stairs. Madame started up as if she had been struck. She ran to the bed almost like one demented, and wrapping the one poor blanket round Monsieur le Vicomte, she seized him in her arms. Outside we could hear Laporte's raucous voice speaking to the guard. His usual query, Is all well? And was answered with the brief, All well, citizen. Then he asked if the English spy were within. The sentinel replied, No, citizen. He went out at about five o'clock and has not come back since. Not come back since five o'clock, said Laporte with a loud curse. Pardie, I trust that that fool Cowdy has not allowed him to escape. I saw Cowdy about an hour ago, citizen, said the man. Did he say anything about the Englishman then? It seemed to us, who were listening to this conversation with bated breath, that the man hesitated a moment ere he replied. Then he spoke with obvious nervousness. As a matter of fact, citizen, he said, Cowdy thought then that the Englishman was inside the house, whilst I was equally sure that I had seen him go downstairs an hour before. A thousand devils, cried Laporte with a savage oath. If I find that you, citizen sergeant, or Cowdy have blundered, there will be trouble for you. To the accompaniment of a great deal more swearing, he suddenly kicked open the door of the attic with his boot, and then came to a standstill on the threshold with his hands in the pocket of his breeches, and his legs planted wide apart, face to face with Madame la Marquesa, who confronted him now, herself like a veritable tigress who is defending her young. He gave a loud mocking laugh. Ah, the aristos, he cried, waiting for that cursed Englishman, what, to drag you and your brat out of the claws of the human tiger. Not so, my fine seed of Aunt Marquesa. The brat is no longer sick. He is well enough, anyhow, to breathe the air of the prisons of Lyon for a few days, pending a final rest in the arms of Madame la Guillotine. Citizen Sergeant, he called over his shoulder, escort these aristos to my carriage downstairs. When the Englishman returns, tell him he will find his friends under the tender care of Dr. Laporte. In avant, little mother, he added as he gripped Madame la Marquesa tightly by the arm, and you, old scarecrow, he concluded, speaking to me over his shoulder, follow the citizen sergeant, or... Madame la Marquesa made no resistance. As I told you, she had been, since dusk, like a person in a dream. So what could I do but follow her noble example? Indeed, I was too dazed to do otherwise. We all went stumbling down the dark rickety staircase, 
Laporte leading the way with Madame la Marquesa, who had Monsieur le Vicomte tightly clasped in her arms. I followed with the sergeant, whose hand was on my shoulder. I believe that two soldiers walked behind, but of that I cannot be sure. At the bottom of the stairs, through the open door of the house, I caught sight of the vague outline of a large barouche, the lanterns of which threw a feeble light upon the cruppers of the two horses and of a couple of men sitting on the box. Madame la Marquesa stepped quietly into the carriage. Laporte followed her, and I was bundled in his wake by the rough hands of the soldiery. Just before the order was given to start, Laporte put his head out of the window and shouted to the sergeant, When you see Cowdy, tell him to report himself to me at once. I will be back here in half an hour. Keep strict guard as before until then, citizen sergeant. The next moment the coachman cracked his whip. Laporte called loudly, En avant! And the heavy barouche went rattling along the ill-paved streets. Inside the carriage all was silence. I could hear Madame la Marquesa softly whispering to Monsieur le Vicomte, and I marveled how wondrously calm, nay cheerful, she could be. Then suddenly I heard a sound of which truth did make my heart stop its beating. It was a quaint and prolonged laugh, which I once thought I would never hear again on this earth. It came from the corner of the barouche next to where Madame la Marquesa was so tenderly and gaily crooning to her child, and a kindly voice said merrily, In half an hour we shall be outside Lyon. Tomorrow we'll be across the Swiss frontier. You've cheated that old tiger after all. What say you, Madame la Marquesa? It was Milor's voice and he was as merry as a schoolboy. I told you, old Jean-Pierre, he added, as he placed that firm hand which I loved so well upon my knee. I told you that those confounded murderers would not get me this time. And to think that I did not know him, as he stood less than a quarter of an hour ago, upon the threshold of our attic, in the hideous disguise of that abominable Laporte. He had spent two days in collecting old clothes that resembled those of that infamous wretch, and in taking possession of one of the derelict rooms in the house in the Rue des Pipeaux. Then, while we were expecting every moment that Laporte would order our arrest, Milor assumed the personality of that monster, hoodwinked the sergeant on the dark staircase, and by that wonderfully audacious coup, saved Madame la Marquesa, Monsieur le Vicomte, and my humble self, from the guillotine. Money, of which he had plenty, secured us immunity on the way, and we were safely over the Swiss frontier, leaving Laporte to eat out his tigerish heart with baffled rage. End of chapter 3 and end of book 6 How Jean-Pierre met the Scarlet Pimpernel as told by himself.